Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we react to a crazy final day in the Premier League as Manchester City win their fourth title in five years. But where do they rank amongst English football's greatest dynasties? We'll also be talking about relegation as Leeds survive on the final day, but what does the future hold for Burnley? Also, where can Spurs go under Antonio Conte now they've reached the Champions League? This is The Game. Hello, welcome again to the Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wozencroft with a cast of stars as we reflect on the final day of the Premier League season. Alison Rudd is here, so is Tom Roddy. Tony Cascarino is in the building and joining us to discuss events at the Etihad, Paul Hurst. So we have to start, of course we have to start, with the title winners. I mean, winning the Premier League title with a 3-2 home win on the final day, that, that, that's happened somewhere before, I'm sure it has. I, I can't, it doesn't come to mind. I must have erased it from my memory, but good Good news for Manchester City's merchandisers. They can now stop selling 9320 shirts and start selling ones that say five minutes and 32 instead, because that was the gap between City's first and third goals as a remarkable second half performance. And really, the, the final half an hour saw Pep Guardiola's side overturn a two goals deficit against Aston Villa at the Etihad and seal a fourth Premier League title in five years, watched by Paul Hurst. And Paul, we've got to start by talking about your piece in the Times where you dissect exactly what happened in terms of how City won the title. What was key to this title win? Well, there are several factors, really. You know, the, the Guardiola genius is, is one of them. You know, the way he's kind of held this team together, this squad together over the course of the year. Very challenging, demanding year. And the way he's, you know, kept going after six years. You know, this is sixth season at the club. He's not done... And that's his, this is his longest spell at any club. So, you know, his motivation, how he kept going and his desire to kind of keep keep the players motivated, etc. Players like De Bruyne, who had a terrible first half of the season, didn't get his first Premier League assist till uh, November, uh, sorry, December 29th. And then, you know, was amazing in the second half of the season. So he was key. Uh, Rodri as well he's a bit of an unsung hero really this season and a, a few coaches as well the set piece coach Carlos Vicens he was he was key to the, to the title um, since he scored more more set piece goals than any other team this season and that's that's not something you usually associate with City. So, yeah, there are several strands to it. Yeah, and you can read all about it in the paper. I only conceded one goal from a set piece as well. I saw a little bit earlier on, which is, is quite incredible. Yeah. What was the afternoon like? Because I've got to say, I mean, like the rest of the country, I am sure my jaw was on the floor after that brilliant second goal from Philippe Coutinho. It, it was on. I think we all thought Liverpool were going to score against Wolves, <laughs> even though it was one all at the time. Actually, you know, throughout the afternoon, as it went, when the City goals went in. Liverpool were never actually top during the afternoon, but it certainly felt like it for, for a period of time. What was it like with the nerves inside the Etihad? That was the strangest thing about the whole day, that at no point were Liverpool winning the title, but at the Etihad, you know, it felt like they lost it. Everyone was convinced that Liverpool would end up beating Wolves. And I must admit, when they were 2-0 down City, I thought it could be, they could end up losing like four or five because 
they were just um, they were just all incredibly nervous, and the crowd was tense as well. And Guardiola sensed that he was on the touchline, trying to raise his hands and trying to rouse everyone. But everyone was just really, really tense, and it reminded me of of the final day ten years ago. All those. United fans at Sunderland listening to their radios and talking to people on their mobile phones to see what's happening at the other game. There was a kind of role reversal, really. They were waiting to be beaten, the City fans in the crowd. But as soon as Gundogan scored that first goal, it really whipped up the crowd and, you know, it got everyone going. And as soon as that first goal went in, I think everyone started believing. Um, but I didn't think Villa would collapse that quickly. There was a funny part at the end of the game where Pep Guardiola was asked what, what drives him, essentially. And he paused for ages and he looked speechless because it was almost like well there is no answer to that I just this is just what I do this is there is you know it's it's innate I was born with this this love for football I just want to win I, mean, I think eventually he just said we like winning or I like winning you know it was just one of those <laughs> this that, is my thing yeah exactly it was like I, I didn't I didn't realise I still had to say this but, but that's sort of my thing where do Manchester City and Pep Guardiola rank in terms of and I'll ask the others this in a while you know, do you, do you think they're up there now amongst the great English football dynasties? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think the way that the team plays, you know, it's certainly one of the most entertaining teams that we've seen in the... Uh, in, in the history of the Premier League, you know, if, if they win, if they keep winning at this kind of rate, then you know they will be regarded as, as the greatest. I think just because they have been so prolific, you know, four titles in five years is, is some going, isn't it? Uh, but just going back to what you said about what motivates him, I think you know Liverpool or Jurgen Klopp are most motivating Pep Guardiola at the moment. They, they are really, it's, it's, it's Liverpool pushing them that's really kind of raised the bar. I think if you just look at the gap between second and third it's huge now isn't it and these two teams are really you know they're light years above everyone uh, in front of everyone else so and that's because they they're so competitive the the managers are so so driven to 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 win and to get silverware that that they are you know so far ahead and that's you know that's why they are they are the best my players are now eternal legends says Guardiola you can read all about the final day at the Etihad from Paul Hurst in the Times app right now I know you're you're hot footing your way to Manchester United at the moment I, yes. I wonder I wonder what they've got planned today I wonder what happens at football clubs that are losers I don't know <laughs> I don't know anyway Paul I'm sure will be back to tell us about it on the game podcast soon thank you for joining us thank you cheers and by the way if you're looking out for Paul's piece it's time for golf Guardiola swerves talk of the future is the one you're looking for because there is so much great stuff in the football section on the Times app regarding Manchester City's title win. So if you want to pick that out, that's what you're looking for. As I mentioned, Tony Cascarino, Alison Rudd and Tom Roddy are with me here in the studio in London reflecting on... I mean, uh, Tony, it was a sensational second half. It's one of those with Manchester City. No one saw it coming. Then they score the first goal and suddenly everyone's like, Oh, they could come back here. Mm. You know, the, the momentum changed so significantly so quickly. Yeah, I mean, watching City last week at West Ham when they were really poor in the first half and ended up nearly with the same scenario with Mahrez missing a penalty to make it 3-2. And Liverpool playing really poorly yesterday in the first half. Then City doing exactly the same thing against Villa. You know, they'd lost their form. And it was quite clear that... I mean, I would probably say that I felt Guardiola made his best three ever substitutions because that was a massive change. The dynamics of the team with Sterling coming on in the right, Gundogan, as we know, getting a brace and, you know, he's, he scored goals on a regular basis and I think Sinchenko because, you know, you could, you could argue two ways and 
I'll have to be careful how I say this. There's genius and idiot decisions, okay? The genius and the idiot can be quite closely related at times. I'm not saying Guardiola was a, an idiot to to select the team he did, but when I saw the lineup, it immediately felt to me, well, you've played a strange card here. You put Stones at right back and you've put Ferdinandinho, who had a really difficult game against Antonio at uh, the London Stadium, um, and you've ended up changing it. So you made mistakes and then you've changed it and where the genius part, well, you've recognised it and he has done it. He done it in my, Bayern Munich as a manager that, you know, you make changes, but they were the three most inspirational changes I've seen probably under Guardiola. Tony, that's the nicest thing you've ever said about me because <laughs> no one's ever called me a football genius because I've been screaming for Fernandinho not to play at centre-back, yeah. obviously. Nathan Ake, by the way, has been on the bench for the last few games and we've been acting like Manchester City have had some sort of crisis in central defence because, my word, you can't play two left-footed centre-backs. I mean, what 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 is that all about? So you play Fernandinho up against Ollie Watkins mm. and it's the same sort of disastrous Bambi on ice, you know, performance that, with all due respect, we love Fernandinho. He has put in at centre-half over the last few games. You've got John Stones, one of your centre-halves back, fit enough to start. You play him at right-back. And so, let's be honest, the changes that were made inspired, but we all thought, look, they need a bit of balance in this, mm. this back for Zinchenko coming on at halftime wasn't a surprise maybe the fact it was made at halftime was the bigger surprise out of it but Gundogan coming on for Bernardo Silva who's had a great season okay fair enough inspired and even I you know I wanted Raheem Sterling to come on I'm screaming where's Sterling but when he was on the right hand side I was like well, what's the point in this put Foden on the right put Sterling on the left that's his preferred position and in the end Sterling comes up with a magical bit of wing play on the right and Gundogan the other subs there and Zinchenko sets up the goal for Rodri and it all it it all falls into place for Manchester City. Mm. That's a very interesting Romantic. philosophical dis, uh, discussion. You, you, Tony, you're saying, is it genius or idiocy? Mm. You, can't, I'm, well, I'm sorry, you can't have both, but you can't have both. Well, you can if there's two halves of football. And if you're, I'm saying only, the he's first a, He's half. only set up to make, the, to make good substitutions because he made such a poor selection in the first place. That's exactly what I just said, Al. But that, the, the genius doesn't come into it. Well, no, the genius comes in is what you do in the second half to change it to make sure... Well, bleeding look, obvious isn't look, genius. Well, I I would I debate... Well, we've just heard from Hugh there where Hugh's just said, well, he's he's played Sterling on the right instead of the left, which is the most natural position to play Sterling on the left. So to me, I'm like Hugh. I thought, why is Sterling on the right? Because I always think that Sterling's a better player on the left. So my part of, well, look, is there an element of judgment with regards to luck as how it's panned out? Because, you know, to get three goals in five minutes and so many seconds is extraordinary. You know, even the, the most cleverest person in the world couldn't imagine that could be changed so dramatically. The reason I said genius and idiot, because they're so closely related sometimes. And I just felt, well, you could say that in the first half that, he really there's an idiotic decisions to do what he did they paid a price but then he made changes that you go well okay and we called Fergie genius at times because of things he did to make late comebacks and that's what City have done oh, no. I mean honestly I could go out of the house <laughs> and forget to wear any clothes and everyone will say what an idiot go home get changed put clothes on people are not going to say she's a genius <laughs> well, for doing what everyone else well, would have done well that's simplistic Al I mean you, you might put on a beautiful dress I might only have beautiful dresses in my wardrobe here's the thing I, I, the, the weird thing about Guardiola's decision is that his team was obviously going to lack balance if Ollie Watkins was a you know with all due respect to him if he was an elite goal scorer yeah. Manchester City would have lost I mean he was get, he, he got 
key opportunities that on any other day, you know, his touch, his control as he bared down on goal a couple of times let him down. I mean, and if that was an elite striker, Man City probably would have been 4-0 down and there was probably no coming back from that. So in, in a way, there's some madness, some genius and a slice of luck. Also, I, would, I would have been intrigued to have seen what would have happened if a bit of pressure had been applied from Anfield. You know, um, going behind that 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 filters onto the pitch at City. It it it's got to. It would have had an impact for all the drama of yesterday. As Hursty just said, there was no point where Liverpool were leading the Premier League. So, if going into that second half, if if at half time Liverpool had been leading and City knew at half time that they were losing the champion, that they were losing the title, does that second half performance happen? Mm. Tom, Tom, can I ask you a question? Genius or idiot? Genius or idiot? Uh, well, I think I, I think I lean slightly further towards the genius side, um, and I'm talking about Pep here, not Hugh. Yeah, um, who, who, who's harsh? Who, who does need to be called the football genius from now on? Hugh cannot be used anymore. Um, but I thought it was kind of summed up. City in a way because you know the protagonists of this season haven't really been Rodri or Gundogan or, and yet they come on and it, it sums up how they are that, that goals can come from from anywhere in that team mm. so um, it slightly summed them up it, what what I mean this is a total side point to what was a great end to the season for Manchester City's fans but I watched that and went imagine if they had five subs available to them Manchester City what more could be done throughout the season for them to change matches that they maybe made a poor selection in or maybe a poor tactical <laughs> choice you make five worse decisions <laughs> no just yeah I know this is but this is what I was saying because I, I genuinely you know I, I, those of you that follow me on Twitter you know that I tweeted straight away like what, what on earth is Fernandinho doing at centre back when Ake's on the bench John Stones is on the pitch um, you know and he changed it at half time but I, I you know I couldn't believe that decision really now look it's hindsight isn't it because hmm. if they played better and created more chances in the first half even with those players there they might have been 2-0 up and we okay. we see it differently Hugh imagine the scenario if City lose the title on the result yesterday and the selections yeah, he made you yeah. don't tell me all the papers would have and every pundit would have said like you 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 know you you put out on Twitter that that was crazy by yeah, yeah. by Guardiola I thought it was so, and, and it, it is very you know I said it last week didn't I I said I thought it was crazy you know what Mikel Antonio's like you know the physicality that he brings you know that he's got more pace than Fernandinho why would you want them going what you know one on one the way that City defend as well and it was the same with what you know he is stronger he is faster he's younger you know he was always going to get the better of him with just and, and Villa knew it it was just like stay on him he never went near the other centre half uh, Laporte for the whole first half it was just him and Fernandinho and it was like well put it on Watkins I mean one of them was genuinely wasn't it straight from the goalkeeper over Fernandinho's head and Watkins was in on goal and it, it didn't make much sense to me I've got to say but but again the quality of the squad was the difference and maybe that's what, what won Manchester City the title in the end because I want to ask you all like I asked Hursty what you think the key to Manchester City's title win was in the end what's the difference between them and, and Liverpool who by the way were split by a hair and I'm probably splitting hairs by asking this question Shall I go first? Well, you, you I, I think the performance of Rodri was extraordinary this year. And, he, you know, you can say unsung hero and I'd put him in my team of the season um, because I, th I think he's been outstanding for them. His goal was terrific. De Bruyne finding his form, that's self-evident. You know, if De Bruyne is on, 
you know, there's very little teams can do to stop him. And his performances from after sort of Christmas and beyond with a Kevin De Bruyne will all grow to love because he's an incredibly gifted player. That ultimately was the difference for me. What do you think, Alison? Who, by the way, are you okay today? Is it? You've worn, you've worn black. <laughs> you've worn black. I mean, is everything all right? Yeah, I, I, let's just say I didn't get a lot of sympathy from friends, <laughs> family, or colleagues yesterday. Boo hoo, you might win three cups. Yeah, fine. Okay, I, I see the. I can see. Yeah, see that. Um, no, I, I, I would, I would defer in a way to Guardiola himself on this. Who, whenever something good happens or he's pushed he does reference Liverpool I know Paul Hurst said he's pushed he feels pushed by Liverpool and it inspires him and motivates him but he talks about oh you know it's almost the first thing he says is oh this Liverpool side are so perfect they're so perfect they they push me they are amazing they are amazing and so the difference <laughs> in a way the reason City have won the title this season and not Liverpool is because Liverpool's perfection, she said, doing the inverted commas sign, what has not been sustained. It's, I would say it's something lacking in Liverpool as opposed to something totally amazing in City. City are an incredible team with incredible players and a highly, highly uh, dedicated manager. But I do feel, I do feel Liverpool are the more entertaining team with more personality with more variety and they stumbled early in the season they drew games they should have won they had the you know city city got got a draw at the london stadium liverpool lost at the london stadium little things like that just just moments where you felt you know just it's it was i i see it through the prism of liverpool could have been just slightly better than they were and i don't think city could have been mm. what do you think tony well, they got to, nine, to what Alison well said. i would say that look they got 92 points which is a huge return under normal circumstances if you wanted to identify one particular game i'd probably go brentford away because that was like the Aston Villa. I know it wasn't 7-2, but that performance was very concerning because Liverpool looked very vulnerable against Brentford and they caused them an enormous amount of problems. I wouldn't go along with our, you know, City team have slightly more, even though they've got a point more. I I don't really know what I can say to criticise a team that's got 92 points. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, that's under normal circumstances, wins you the Premier League. It just doesn't in this era. These two teams have set a very high benchmark, as Nat, uh, oh, sorry, as Alison alluded to, that um, you know the rest of the league have got a big gap to bridge, much more than Liverpool and City. Liverpool have beaten City by a big distance as well. You know, if you go back to last season, the gap was pretty big. This season, it was pretty much once City got uh, City started to get the win after win after win Liverpool knew what they had to do and they did what they had to do if you look at their points return since the start of the year it's extraordinary mm. so there is very little to choose and the smallest of margins Tom Roddy this is, you, you've got the deciding vote on this do I? yeah, yeah. what do you think the difference between City and Liverpool was over the course of the season and as I said really splitting hairs are we, are we, you know can you really complain about anything that Liverpool did this season 
Not at all. No, no. Um, I feel the same. I think the depth of of danger that that City have um, seven players got into double figures for goals this season, which is just astonishing. Especially when you compare it to say a club like Arsenal, where their top scoring striker got five goals in the Premier League this year. Um, but it's also that kind of. I was at Chelsea yesterday, and when City were coming back, the fans were suddenly chanting and cheering and the fact that Liverpool weren't going to win the title. And I almost think that this, with City, it's easy to um, almost write it off in a way as as much of an achievement because of the money that they mm. can invest in it. And I think obviously other elements come into it with historic rivalries with Liverpool that other clubs have that they maybe don't have with City. But there's that there's an authenticity about the way in which Liverpool have got to this stage that that City don't have quite so much. I think Tom most most fans who are relieved that Liverpool didn't win the title because they didn't want Liverpool to win the quadruple. I don't I don't think that, that's the the heart of why people were quite pleased. City I think won. so. Mm. I think so. And also the fact that we would never hear the end of it. I really feel like, and we'll talk about it on Thursday, that Liverpool will win, win the Champions League. We are clearly blessed with really two of the greatest clubs that we've mm. seen, t- teams that we've seen, sorry, not clubs, in terms of what Guardiola and Klopp have, have produced. We're spoiled, basically. I really feel for the club that doesn't win the Premier League title on, on 92 points as it is this season, because it just, it really doesn't make sense. You know, I was watching the the, the post-match interviews at Liverpool and the dejection and the sadness, and everyone's trying to be happy because they've had a great season and they mm. could have another, you know, European Cup to their great history. But you're looking at them and it's like, you are so, so, so good and you didn't win the league. And I was just like, I can't even imagine what that's like. Like we lost twice and we didn't win the league. What, what, do, we, what do you do then? What can you do? Like you just, it, it feels really futile. Like, you know, especially if City win another one next year and it's five and six and you're thinking we've put together probably the best Liverpool team ever if, they, if they're getting over 90 points again next year, you know, and they win a European Cup this season. And you're, you, you know, there are loads of trophies, you know, let's be honest, everyone at Liverpool's laden with trophies and, you know, I'm watching Divock Origi with a huge plaque saying all the trophies <laughs> he's won. I thought, blimey, all right. You know, they have won quite a few in the last eight years since he's been there. But, you know, my personal view is as an athlete, sometimes it is difficult to motivate yourself, to continue to motivate yourself if it does feel futile. And I wonder if that affects Liverpool going forward in the Premier League in particular. Do you, do you, do you think that any of that mental fatigue will set in? Well, they looked a very tired team yesterday, Liverpool, especially in the first half. They've got that aura of um, a great team. Now, I'm going to show me age here of Holland in 74 when they lost the World Cup final, mm. but were an incredible team. Brazil in 82, likewise. Amazing side that didn't achieve anything, you know, in, in football terms with the players they had. I think we'll look back at this, this time and go, yeah, OK, they lost the Premier League. But boy, what a side he's created and put together. Because to me, I'm very proud to be a Liverpool fan, as you were, as being a Man United fan, of some of the teams that Fergie put together. This team is going 
going to continue to win. Mm. Now, which trophies? I mean, you can't envisage teams winning all four. I mean, the reason why it's 500 to one before the start of the season, because it's a really ridiculous achievement to be able to do. And Liverpool getting that close. If you're going to say, right, you've won three trophies and you've got 92 points in the Premier League. That in itself feels like a quadruple anyway. Mm. You know, because under normal circumstances, you win the league with 92. Mm. Mm. Do you think... Do you think listen I, I, let me put it into context I've seen a lot of football fans projecting after the end of the season how great their season could be next year including my friends in the WhatsApp group mm. that truly believe you know with the right signings you know we've got a great manager <laughs> you know it won't be too long and I'm sitting there and I'm like guys if Klopp and Guardiola stay at these two teams yeah. we're talking th- at least three more years of just these two teams mm. the only two teams with a chance in my opinion of winning the Premier League title because of the points. I think that's a big thing as well. People are like, well, they're really over good Over that team. period, the last five yeah, years. Yeah, this is, what, this is what I mean. Yeah. Like the, the points total, so over 90 points. I mean, we don't see any other club, regardless of who they sign, Kylian Mbappe changes his mind and decides to sign for Spurs, you know, and and all the and Dybala goes there on a free and, and all the best players in the world show up at Tottenham Hotspur. They're still not going to win the league next year because I think it's going to take, even with good players, time to catch these two, you know, the coaching, everything that's happened at these two clubs for over the last few years. It, it, I, I, look, I'm saying this in a positive way. Two great teams, that will continue. But no one's got a chance next season. I, I, no one's got a chance but these two next season. Come no, on, but I do, I do, I, I maybe not a chance of winning the title next season. But I think, I think Spurs and do it's not have ju- a chance. It's, it's of not just starting, Spurs, by the way. Starting I, it, yeah. Are you, starting are the you, process are, to get I there. use Spurs as an as an example, but I've got friends that support Man United, for example, that think, oh, we've got Ten Hag. If we do things right in this window, and maybe the next window after that, we can challenge, which I think is utterly ridiculous. But how how far away are? any of the other teams in the Premier League from catching these two, Tony. No, but it's a catch-22, it's, it's catch isn't it? Why? Because you feel, if you're a big club and you look at um, Liverpool and City, you can forgive them almost for thinking, oh, we've got to panic, got to panic, got to spend big, make sure we've got the right manager, throw money at it perhaps. And yet what those two clubs have shown is the important bits are the patience of knowing who you want to be in charge, those managers knowing they've got leeway to instill what they their own philosophy if it takes longer than a couple of years they'll stick with them I mean you know Klopp wasn't an overnight success there's a sense of building a dynasty there and Manchester City were almost in limbo waiting for Pep Guardiola to come they had everything in place they had all everything they needed to make his life great ready in place before they got him and when you when you've got that you know you've you've got time to build something so what the clubs big clubs behind those two should be doing is thinking we don't panic we make sure we know what we want to be have a strong identity back the right manager to the hilt and they they don't do that and Chelsea are the outlier have been traditionally the outlier on that because they've built on having um, ironically a very calm devoted owner that's gone now Mm. but they churn the managers and made the, the players at the heart of it and spent outspent the rest and have been very astute with how they've churned their managers as well. That might now change. We don't know what the philosophy of the club's going to be in terms of how long they stick with the manager. But it, there's an opportunity there for, I would say, Spurs more than the rest, although they've been um, 
miserly in the past, they do have they do have the ability to spend more, and they have the ability to say to Conte, "This you you can become a legend at this club, the only person who can." Pull, pull it all together and we have faith in you and we're going to back you I don't think they will but they, they, they do have the opportunity to do that we're going to come to Tottenham Hotspur in more depth but obviously you know Tom you, you watch Chelsea a lot Alison you were at Crystal Palace yesterday you saw the final game of the pre-Ten Hag era if that's a thing it's dreadful um, <laughs> absolutely dreadful but we can get some reflections on those two clubs very very quickly Tom it's going to be a new owner at Chelsea so looking ahead to next season, looks like Thomas Tuchel will still be there. Don't know what the squad will look like, but you imagine Todd Bowley and his consortium have enough money to, to keep them interested. They will need to sign for some, some of those players who are leaving the club as well. Any chance that they, who we thought this season, could bridge the gap can? Potentially, but I see it being more of a year of transition because, as you said, you know, this isn't... I think they need to have a statement signing this summer as a new ownership, and I think they they will. But at the same time, that also requires replacing at least Rudiger and Christensen as key parts of Tuchel's defence. I mean, that's pretty much £100 million worth of defenders leaving for free. So you've got to replace that before you even start to improve the squad uh, from last year. It depends what happens with Lukaku, if he gets him going. But I don't... I see them being up there, but I don't see them... Uh, I can see a similar situation to this year where there's a there's a hefty gap between um, Chelsea and the top two. The one thing I would say as well about... Um, you mentioned United. The, the year before, they they were fini- they finished second, didn't they? Yeah, and... and Stuff comes into that with Van Dyke's injury at Liverpool, stuff that you can't foresee. But um, it, it, am I predicting United will finish second next year? No, I'm not. But I, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that they can be up there amongst it again. Dreamer. Uh, after you, after you, genius after, <laughs> slash football genius. Uh, after what you saw at Palace yesterday, Manchester United beaten by a goal to nil. What are your hopes? Hopes. I, I, you know what I mean. I mean, not your personal hope, but what do you think will, you know, what can you anticipate? Uh, well, it, it, there has to be a boost from Ralph moving upstairs. He's, he's, he's not cut out to be in the dugout in the Premier League. We can now see that really uninspiring bloke to have in charge. I try to imagine, because uh, Ten Hag was there in his, his, his cream suit. I mean, if you want to go sort of incognito, I don't know, he just looked different to everybody else. But anyway, it was like watching The Great Gatsby. But he was <laughs> he was there in his cream suit and looking... I, I, I suppose he was trying to not show any emotion at all, but in so doing, he looked like he was really depressed. Mm. So he was folding his arms a lot, looking quite serious and discouraged. And I was trying to imagine what would I feel like if I was sat there thinking I've inherited... Because what... Ragnick Dig was he played all the players that are definitely staying apart from Cavani who only played because Ronaldo had an injury otherwise Ronaldo would have would have led the line so he was allowed Ten Hag was allowed to see the future the de- I mean not the future but a version of the future that is realistic and it was just it would, would have been very dispiriting to see there was just very little on show they weren't entertaining they weren't passionate there was I mean there was a theory that 
the players there would think, oh, you know, we've got the new manager in the stands watching us. This is our little mini audition so that when he comes in for his first session he he remembers just what effort i put in they don't they don't have they don't have the legs for it they don't have the mentality for it it was there was sporadic moments but even when like someone like fernandez sort of ran in to try and meet across there was just that lack of belief that he in himself that he'd get there it's like the whole the whole team is shrouded with oh we're going downhill aren't we it's there's a, an awful anyway. There's an awful lot to do in, in every department: psychology, team spirit, getting the physical new bodies in to make them feel like they're going somewhere. It, I know. You, I mean, what's amused me since you took over the the hosting so beautifully of the podcast is that you've occasionally said, "No, this this is the lowest moment as a United fan." No, no, no. <laughs> actually, today was the lowest moment as a United fan, and I I keep thinking, "Oh, well, no." Actually, you probably think this one is. I would have thought losing in front of your new manager must have been another low. No, I expected that. I mean, we all knew Man United weren't going to beat Crystal Palace away from. Oh, that's the other thing I forgot to mention. Palace were awful. I mean, it wasn't like it wasn't like Palace. Palace were exhausted. Conor Gallagher, their player of the season, he completely ran out of petrol. I mean, just you know, no one, no. The Palace were not great. Zaha had what Zaha had one moment of genius, which he often has as, ha, had in his Crystal Crystal Palace career. But most teams would have beaten a Palace that time. Well, maybe Bruno Fernandez' best assist of the season as well. You know, hooking a volley across the pitch straight to Wilfred Zaha, who takes one or two <laughs> players on and puts it in the bottom corner. <laughs> Cheers, Bruno. Appreciate it. Um, listen, we'll talk about Spurs later on. I think Manchester United will talk maybe about what Eric Ten Hag's had to say today. Hursty, uh, who we spoke to a little bit earlier on, has gone to his first press conference. But I think they're off the... They're off that front page for me, Manchester United, for quite some time. We'll see what happens this summer. Anyway, worthy winners uh, in the blue half of Manchester of the Premier League title, Manchester City, four in five years under Pep Guardiola. We're going to talk about the bottom of the table next after survival for Leeds United. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, rate us, leave us a review, make sure you're subscribed. 
Well, what a day for Leeds United, becoming the first side since Wigan in 2011 to survive after starting the final day in the bottom three. They went to Brentford, who, by the way, ended the game with nine players and beat them 2-1 in West London to leapfrog Burnley, who were beaten 2-1 by Newcastle at Turf Moor and sent back to the second tier for the first time since 2016. So great scenes uh, for Leeds United and unfortunately for Burnley, it wasn't to be. But let's start with Leeds. How big, Tony, is this result and staying up this season going to be for the club going forward? Well, obviously, if you're getting rid of Bielsa like they did with the remaining games that they had, I think it's as big as it gets for Leeds United because Jesse Marsh had come in, obviously, to a team that was failing and conceding an alarming amount of goals on a regular basis. And it still looked rocky towards the end of the season. You know, they didn't look good. That, you know, I, I felt last weekend it was a big goal that they got an equaliser against Brighton, you know, because it gave them a chance. They were, it, it could have been a scenario that they could have gone into this final game down. But they had a bit of hope. And within that, I, I think one thing you can say about Jesse Marsh, they are definitely far better defensively. Yeah. There is a, a, a completely different mindset to how the team plays. And they've bought into it really quickly, the players. Because I do wonder in the, the final days of Bielsa was the players, you know, as players do, questioned their way of playing. You know, because I've been in dressing rooms where international manager, club manager, we're questioning what the manager wants to, us to do, as if we know all the answers. Well, not always, but sometimes the players might think, we're better with this. This is the way we need to play because it will give us a chance. And I think he... He may have had a, a lot of dealings by, by his interviews that I listened to a lot towards the end of the season was that he really had a, a relationship quite quickly with the team. That was pretty self-evident, that that relationship was pretty good quite quickly. And I think that enabled them to have a chance. I always felt that Burnley had a really tricky game against Newcastle. I always felt that Newcastle were in Champions League form. Mm. You know, that's what form they were in. So that was always a big danger for Burnley. And they... As much as Leeds got that equaliser, Burnley's result against Spurs last weekend was, I thought, very unfortunate. I thought they'd done enough to get something. Yeah. But if you want to, you know, look it, I mean, they've they've stayed up without Bamford, Cooper for May, uh, quite a long period of the season, Calvin Phillips. Yeah. You know, yeah. some big injuries, and they've stayed up. So they've they've obviously got more than what we just see about their running ability and their desire to be at Leeds. And hey, Leeds United fans. They are just, they were, I think they'd sort of summoned themselves to the championship again very, very quickly. And it's panned out different. I thought it was a great performance from Leeds on the final day. I think they were helped by events. I, I, look, I said it before, I think playing Brentford versus playing Newcastle, you would take that. You know, I know people are like, well, there's bad blood between Brentford and Leeds. But to play a team, and I know Newcastle had nothing to play for either, but as you mentioned, the form was as good as it gets, basically, for, for Newcastle United over the last, what, 15 years? You know, it's just like... It's a different Newcastle in the second half of the season under Eddie Howe. And Burnley, they've had injuries too. Selling Chris Wood, you know, Newcastle relegate you on the final day. You gave them your first choice striker. The Sean Dyche, you know, in the end, it's Mike Jackson who officially takes them down. But the relationship with Sean Dyche, 
felt broken for a while. And I wonder whether Burnley should have made a decision on his future earlier and maybe that would have saved them. I don't think they were that bad a team. In a way, I don't think they were one of the three worst teams in the Premier League. They drew an awful lot of games. They haven't, they, you know, if you look at the, the Premier League table in terms of games lost, actually lost, I think it's 14 draws for Burnley, 17 defeats. But there are teams in the top half of the table, Wolves, who have lost 17 games, for example. You know, it's not the worst that we've seen relegation from the Premier League but I do think had they made a decision on Dice sooner they might not have been in this position does anyone agree or disagree slightly but he was slightly disagree no slightly (laughs) slightly agree because he was sort of the um, there was such huge change at that club over the last year that I think that's had a massive impact on the team and he was probably he was probably the only sort of stable element left out of those figures that maybe not everyone sees as the face of the club. He is—he was always the face of the club, but inside, the, the figures that were there every single day got, got changed. So I think that was a big part of it. But also, you know, Burnley for so long had punched above their weight. They were the, the opposite of Leeds in a way. The, the they're an extremely efficient side um, and leads and they wouldn't make as many errors and, and leads did do that because they Burnley spent far far less um, it's it shouldn't be a surprise that they've gone down just on a couple of points um, they had 12 players out of contract towards the end of this season they'd obviously as you mentioned sold Chris Wood Weckhorst come in for a 12 million fee scored two goals in 17 games for them in the Premier League. You know, and you generally think, well, Mike Jackson, how good a job did he do? Well, he got 11 points from eight games. Sean Dyche got 24 out of 30 games. So he's improved the team. They were better. Just, I know it's a short span of games to say how well he did, but that was eight games, 11 points. So they were a side that shouldn't have really gone down. And they had the oldest squad in the Premier League. The club has been run quite poorly from upstairs because you should never want to be... It's one thing you don't want to have the oldest squad. Crystal Palace had that issue, didn't they, under Roy Hodgson for a time where he had the oldest squad. And obviously, you have to come to a day where you make big decisions about who stays and who goes. And I think Burnley have got themselves in a right pickle. And this summer becomes a worry as well because, Mm. of course, the the takeover, they've got... uh, Sixty-five million pound loan that needs to be paid back in the next yeah. few weeks, and that's that's a problem. So they need to repay a significant portion of the sixty-five million pound loan that was taken out during the takeover by the American firm ALK Capital in twenty twenty. As long as Burnley stayed in the Premier League, only expected to pay eight percent interest payments until twenty twenty-five. But a clause in the takeover stated they would pay a penalty if they went down before then. It isn't clear how much they have to pay, but the longer they stay out. Out of the top flight, the more money it's going to cost them. On top of that repayment, they obviously lose TV money. Nine players out of contract and others like Maxwell Cornet have clauses that will allow them to go because of relegation. In Cornet's case, £17.5 million release clause. So there's big fears mm. over the future of, of Burnley. What can Their happen top to goal them? scorer. Yeah. 
He's but, but, listen, listen you, would have well. ex- you would have expected them, even without having to repay loans and clauses to any team to, to have their best players, mm. you know, teams try and come in. And you would imagine cornet has been there for a year, wanted to play Premier League football, would probably have been one of those sold. Anyway, probably would have been more than 17 and a half million. Or maybe not, given relegation, I don't know. But you would have expected them to lose those players. But you would have expected them to be able to reinvest in the championship and now they can't pretty much their parachute money goes in the first year in terms of paying off a big bit of this loan and then we don't know the financials at Burnley might be so bad that they, they can't they just physically can't come back up by replacing those nine f- first team players that go with, with what we would see as players who are Premier League quality or certainly you know bottom bottom five Premier League type players they might, off. They, they might be mid-table championship players are the only ones they can afford now paid off Sean Dyche as well yeah. and his team you know yeah, they've had yeah. some huge bills go out the door, yeah. and yeah, I'm still, I still can't. It hasn't quite sunk in for me that they've got relegated because I've never, I don't think this season I've watched them play whether they've won, lost, or drawn, and thought, oh, they're a bit flaky, they're at mm. risk. There's, it's just that they can't score goals, mm. and even in their final game, they created, they play, they've been playing some decent football, some decent football, just decent passing, progressive football. They haven't got anybody who can do that. That that last thing that you need to do is put, put the ball in the back of the net. They're close. They're close. They make mistakes. But otherwise, even when they've had you know their first choice defence injured, they've, they've somehow had that sort of innate mm. solidity. I don't know. You sort of feel like a team that goes down has to be flawed in character or approach. Mm. And they're so sensible. I'm not talking about about the ownership model I'm talking about on the pitch they've they've, mm. they've looked very grown up about it second top goal scorer at the club who's that second top goal scorer at the club oh so the top goal scorer was Corney. one of them's not there Chris Corn- Wood was Chris it? Wood yeah. and equaled oh. with Vidra Ben Mee oh wow yeah with his set pieces yeah Three goals. Three goals. So, yeah, as Al is talking about, you know, lack of goals. You can, Everything else yeah. has been okay. Yeah. Does Does Mike Jackson stay now? Because I think it was a positive when he took over. They played, I think, a slightly better style of football, more possession. You know, had a good run there in terms of being unbeaten. Just in the end, I think the fixtures caught up with them. Would you feel confident that he's the person to, to take, try and take Burnley up next season? Well... I, he certainly hasn't done himself any harm. Now, the crisis behind the scenes and upstairs will obviously unravel in the weeks to come. How bad it is, what he'll have at his disposal. Like you said earlier, the number of players out of contract. Um, I mean, I've always been told, I don't know the actual figures, but I've always been told that Burnley have a very high wage bill. It's not down at the bottom end of the table. Um, that players are played very well. Um, so they, they have got huge challenges. And only... I think it would be helpful if Mike Jackson was given a chance, but he's also he's got to now do something he's not had to do. He's by players. He's never done that before. You yeah. know, the transfer market, you'd like to think the recruitment team at Burnley are going to be really savvy because yeah. they have done some really savvy business over the years that they're going to be called upon as much as a manager. Yeah. Because if you've got any chance of getting out of it, Hugh, your recruitment team's your you, you really go to. Yeah, my gut feeling is 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 no really because really? yeah because the reason being is we've uh, all of the above suggests what a significant summer it is for Burnley and you're sort of putting it in the hands of someone who doesn't necessarily guarantee 
promotion back to the the Premier League and that's because we don't know but is it a gamble worth taking I mean you look at, at Bournemouth and what they did with Jason Tindall and he, he was sacked um, within what six, seven, eight months mm. because but you look at Sheffield United who had they allowed Heckenbottom to stay in charge maybe they would have got promoted perhaps yeah it can go one or two ways but I think we've seen enough in terms of their football I think that's quite important it isn't just maybe it was you know some people take over and they do get results they just sort of change the, the routine and say you know get it in there we'll do some set pieces maybe you start nicking results and points here or there but they've seen a real decent pattern of play at Burnley over the last seven or eight games that's just to me and I, I get it they've got a certain type of player now that they might not have the same profile in the championship next season but they to me, I would give him an opportunity, to be honest. I would give him an opportunity. I also think his character is very level-headed. So if there are going to be issues going forward, I think he understands the opportunity that he gets as a coach to, to lead a club like Burnley. I think he's managed diplomatically through this process as well after Sean Dyche has left. I, I, I would I would give him an opportunity. But again, you know, it depends on the players you've got at the club. If the quality does drop significantly, you really might want a championship specialist to take over. Who that might be, I don't I really don't know. But I, in a way, I do fear for Burnley. I'm really intrigued to see how the numbers... Uh, pan out but uh, just on their wage bill I think they have a really high wage bill in terms of how much money the club brings in mm. but not in terms of the, mm. the the actual number do you see what I mean Tony so they don't pay them massive money but well, obviously big incentives uh, com- yeah but yeah. compared to what the club brings in it is, it's up there but it was it was high at Bournemouth I mean it was like 110% at Bournemouth because again the club doesn't generate that level of income and they're still Premier League players they still want a certain salary you'd ask for it Tony Cascarino I would too let's quickly go back to Leeds United because we're talking about who might be the right person to lead Burnley next season Jesse Marsh do we all feel do we feel like he is the right person to lead Leeds United Tom Rod I'm going to start with you on this one. Jesse Marsh, keep him in charge for next season? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, Where do they go then next season? Because I think Rafinha will probably leave. I think Calvin Phillips will probably leave. I think you're right. I mean, Tony made the point earlier that this has been a a year in which they haven't had key players anyway. So it's tricky. But I think the signs... 15 points in 12 matches for um, Jesse Marsh. He's. It, it was a real. It was probably the hardest job in the Premier League to take over midway through this season because of the emotional connection to Bielsa and I think his personality and that kind of. Um, clear optimism that you can feel whether you're listening to Jesse Marsh speak on the radio, watch him in press conferences or on television, you can you can already quickly sense how you would feel as a as a player in that dressing room. And I think his his personality has been key to them surviving and stopping the the trend of of results that that, that they were experiencing. But also not just his personality, but the the tactics as well, because that was a that was a shift that they needed, and he did make them harder to beat. This is Leeds United. We all see them as a top flight club, but every club that comes up from the the championship for me, it takes a minimum five seasons for for me to even describe them as a a genuine top flight side because I I feel like it takes that long to consolidate. And even then, you might not be out of it. Look at Burnley, been in the Premier League since 2016. Some clubs rise above it. And, you know, the likes of Crystal Palace, okay, they have a very 
different history to Burnley, but it took them a, a long while, 20 years or so of occasionally being a top flight side and going down and coming up before now. Again, we see them as a, you know, but get, then again, you know, had they been in a relegation battle this year and possibly gone down, we wouldn't have been massively surprised either. You know, it does take a long time. It will take a long time for Leeds United to be back to being Leeds United, but all of their fans, of course, you know, by the way, this podcast started the year, we we're getting complaints that we weren't, they didn't, they weren't included in our conversation about who should be in Europe at the end of the season. How did that pan out? You know, they've stayed in the Premier League, but they do have big ambitions, especially the fans. They expect a lot from their club. It's like I say, it's Leeds United. So what do you think they need to do to become that, you know, not necessarily Leeds United of old that challenge for titles, etc., and, and Europe, but to be that Leeds United that we think is a stable top flight team? It's always about money, though, isn't it? Is it? And the the fans don't like the board because they don't think that they throw enough money at it and they're not clever with it as well. And it's not just... I mean, it's it's both, isn't it? It's a combination of having, having the funds and having the expertise to make sure you recruit cleverly. I mean, you know, Liverpool's amazing season is down to very clever recruitment first money second not the other way around it's a, it's it's that's what it's about and i would take issue slightly with tom roddy's glowing assessment of jesse marsh i think mm. in some ways it wasn't a difficult job to take over because it was so obvious on one if you take, if you strip away the emotion and how beloved uh, bielsa was everyone knew deep down that the that the side were exhausted, just exhausted. It was what only one path that they were following. There was no pragmatism at all. And they were sinking through just too much Bielsa-ness. So to come in and not be him, in many ways, in terms of personality, you were talking about Tommy's the opposite of Bielsa. Bielsa never said a word. And Jesse Marsh doesn't shut up. And, I, I <laughs> you know, you, yeah, the team has to decide all oh, right we'll listen to him we'll take this on board and but basically what they hear is that he's going to allow them to take breathers within the 90 minutes is concentrate on defending build, you know let's just let's just take a breath it's not all or nothing anymore and that's what they that is ultimately what they needed and it just got them over the line if if burnley had been able to take the chances it would not have taken them over the line it was you know the narrowest of margins I I still don't know enough about Jesse Marsh to start a, a, after a pre-season, get them all together, wh whether he has actually got the nous and capability and ins inspirational element of his, his of his coaching to get them to be a uh, a team that can, as you say, he become a, a stalwart of the Premier League. I don't think we know enough about what he can do here. Well, well, let's take the positives because the positives are they got a very good youth system and they got players that are expected to come into the first team yeah. over the next two or three years, which is a big thumbs up. I mean, the young lad go arts come in and yeah. looking like he could have player part next Greenwood year. Greenwood looks good. Greenwood too. looks good. I mean, and then you could add on to well. Rafinha and Harrison, who got the both goals against Brentford, um, with a, obviously Rafinha with a pen. You know, it's not an always a given that players do get sold. 
you know, it can be rumoured it might be another year. Now, I'm sure if they'd have gone down, that would have probably happened. Yeah, yeah. But it puts Leeds in a f- much more healthier position that they've stayed up to, to be able to keep these players. Um, so I do think there's quite a number of positives. Actually, the worst game I think I watched this, this season or the worst performance, it would be Leeds. And it wasn't the 7-1 game or a 6-1 game, uh, Man United, where they lost uh, early in the season. It was a 3-2 win at Wolves because they were unbelievably bad for 45 minutes they were 2-0 down if you had to give me a million to one that they could get back and win this game and I said absolutely it's going to be 6 or 7 <laughs> sending off changed the game and ended up winning 3-2 from a performance that was pretty dreadful yeah, yeah, yeah. now I'm not sure how much Jesse Marsh played in that because <laughs> that sending off for Wolves enabled them to get three points yeah. now we talk about fine margins now their recklessness as alien as we saw and obviously uh, Daniel James as yeah. you know sending offs at the end were always really concerning because they're all the signs of things that clubs that go down do yeah. um, so I'm really mixed about Jesse Marsh and what he will do next year but I do think there's positives and, and that's an obvious thing to say when you stay in the Premier League but there are some good things on the horizon for Leeds well, listen, congratulations to Leeds United staying in the Premier League. Commiserations to Burnley, too, who go down to the Championship. Been here since 2016. Hopefully for them, things are OK, financially at least. Um, listen, we're going to be talking about the riches of the Champions League next as Spurs make it into the top four. Stay with us. Tottenham Hotspur needed a final day win at Norwich and Julie delivered with a 5-0 trouncing to make it through to the Champions League in March. In March, Spurs were six points behind Arsenal, who also had a game in hand in that race for a top four spot. So much has changed. Antonio Conte said he ranks it amongst his greatest achievements as a coach. Let's start with Tottenham Hotspur before we get to Arsenal on the final day. What do we think Champions League qualification means for Spurs and in particular Conte's future? Do we expect this, as I alluded to a little bit earlier on, some of my Spurs mates feel like this is a sign that there are great things to come at Tottenham. Do do you agree, Tony? Well, what I would say is before Antonio got the job, and I would say other managers are guilty and Nuno failed immensely in this, this area, is that if you've got Son and Kane and you put an estimate of what they're going to score before the start of the season, you're probably going to go close to 40 goals. They'll be close because yeah. they've done that nearly every year, haven't they? They've they've both scored a huge amount of goals. So having that is a massive advantage because Suns ended up with 23. You know, Kane's ended up with, I'm not sure, about 18 or, or close, 17, 18. And they both scored a lot of goals since Conte's come to the club. Kane got 15 goals from the mid-December till the end of the season. Son got 17 Kuliszewski's got five since he joined in Jan. You know, and that's not a huge amount. But if you put that total together, that front three is well worthy of being Champions League. You know, that team is well worthy of being. And I think he's made a mark on the football club that Bentancourt coming in, who's a very established player in Italy. You know, I, I thought it was a coup when they got him. I yeah. thought, you're getting someone with huge experience, he's still a young age, very, very gifted footballer. Mm. You know, he's, he, football's pretty easy to him. And I think with the qualities that Conte's got, I think Loris has played as well as he has in many a year for Spurs. Because I, th- I think he's been questionable for a number of seasons. But this year, under Conte, he was not 
kicking the ball or playing the passes short as often mm. under Conte. There's been quite a number of direct balls forward quickly, which suits him because he isn't the greatest with his feet. So there's been lots of pluses. I mean, think about it. You know, you've had Sessignon been in the team. You've had Davis yeah. been in the team. He's had uh, Davis and Sanchez come in who have all had iffy times and they've still managed to go on the run that's enabled them to get champion uh, league football and you know Conte's always been a winner and he's always made dramatic change very quickly so this is nothing new for him either Tom what do you think Champions League football means uh, retention essentially for Spurs because Conte the unpredictable Conte is far more likely to stay Um, Harry Kane's options were much more limited um, but it makes him much much more likely to stay but it also makes them so much more attractive you know if you're if you're a player um, say Gabriel Jesus for example and you're picking between Arsenal or Tottenham this summer the answer you would have thought would be pretty obvious because because of the fact you're going to be playing in the Champions League that is I, I, I sat down with um, Son Heung Min for an interview this week in the Sunday Times and he was talking about the last this last year um, in the Champions League and, and sitting at home uh, where he lives in Hampstead with his mum and dad and he can barely he could barely watch on a Tuesday and Wednesday night because he wasn't playing in in that in that competition it's it's the one everyone wants to be playing in so it's an obvious decision do you think it will lead to retention I mean I'm surprised you said you think it makes Conte more likely to stay I mean I would have thought getting Champions League football means he's definitely staying and so is Harry Kane uh, well I would say 90% he's staying I, I wouldn't surprise me if he walks in has Paris a meeting has a meeting with uh, Daniel Levy uh, Daniel Levy and decides he doesn't like what he hears and that's it he's gone in a puff of smoke mm. no one saw it coming really he's so I mean but, I mean, that's what we like about him isn't it he's so demonstrative and emotional I mean he he does win away fan chanting of the manager's name of the season and he does win celebrations he, and it's interesting <laughs> isn't it everyone has a go at Arteta's over the top celebrations of goals Oh, it's demeaning. Oh, come on. You've, you know, you're beating a team in the bottom half of the table. Why are you looking so delighted? Get a grip, Arteta. But um, when Conte does it, it's like, oh, it's gorgeous. He's just, oh, it, yeah. <laughs> the, the, what, the passion he's brought to Spurs. He's, he's lit the flame for the club. So it's perceptions, everything. And it, all that matters is the players buy into it. And by the end, Chelsea players didn't like um, Conte's methods. He was too strict, too prescriptive. But I, I suspect the big players at Spurs, tired of it being nearly, nearly, will quite like the discipline and the, the chance to work with someone who is a proven winner. Right. So they do have... It's there, but for it to work, they just need to show a bit more oomph in the transfer market. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, in the build-up, the last couple of weeks of the season, as a Manchester United fan, said to my mates, I would far rather Arsenal get to top four than Tottenham because I feel like with Conte and Kane and Son there, having Champions League football, they can attract far better players and they're in a better position than Arsenal in terms of keeping that going, in terms of being a Champions League side next season and the season after that. And that would keep Manchester United out. So that's a selfish perspective. But what I mean is, I think it was so crucial they made Champions League because I think it does signal if Conte stays at least a couple more seasons that they can go from strength to strength. Well, look, 
you you only have to go back a year ago when he was in charge of Inter Milan and he decided not to stay. And you know, if you read in between the lines, that his demands are quite um, incredible. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes a club doesn't want to do or can't do. Um, so if he goes to meet Daniel Levy and his demands are of the highest order, and Daniel Levy's well, we can't do that. Does he think, well, if you can't do it, I'm expecting, I want to challenge, I want to make this club challenging Liverpool, Man City and competing for the title and I can't do that. Mm. Well, Inter Milan, you know, challenged for the title, okay, AC Milan won it this year in Italy, but he he sort of second-guessed that that wouldn't be enough what Inter did. Mm. And it's panned out that he was right, that AC Milan have overtaken and won the Italian league. Mm. So I, I think it will come down to exactly what his demands are is it realistic for the club to do now they've got Champions League football it, look, they can offer more they can promise him more you know if they didn't I think it was quite evident that he wouldn't have stayed at Spurs the thing is about uh, Tottenham Hotspur is you know the Kulisevsky signing albeit uh, I think on loan and Ben Tanker coming in uh, and I think maybe Kulisevsky has signed up permanently now but initially on loan is that they weren't sort of heralded stars you know they, they you know we got them and they were like we all knew they were decent players but essentially rejects from where they were in Italy if Conte has the coaching now to keep picking up players who aren't a £60 million player or a £70 million well, player that everyone else wants and they can produce for him out there on the pitch. Does he need a huge amount of money? Does he need big promises from Daniel Levy? Not in forward areas. No, he doesn't. He, he, if, he's, if he can keep them at the club, no, he doesn't need too much in, in, in that particular part of the field. What I would say, look, his knowledge of being having Bentancourt as a player Okay, we'll take him for for example because he's the perfect example for me. He was sometimes you get players that need a change, need a move, new environment, and he ticked that box. Mm. You no, know, having to leave Juve because Juve was going through this. We obviously saw why yeah. Ronaldo last season, the transition. You've seen the season they had this season. It's been pretty dreadful on Ju Juve's terms. Uh, as normal, they're normally the winners, or if not competing, they haven't been this year. This year, and I think he got. He's one of them players that have got caught up in a difficult time was coming, and he had to move on. And he needed that move uh, to reignite him in, in some ways. And Conte recognised that. I'll bring him here and I know what he needs, what to give him, and he'll shine for me. I think he showed great imagination around that particular transfer. Okay. All right. I, I just wanted to give a quick um, bit of congratulations, really. Just a bit of adulation to Hyung Min Son for the 23 goals. He shares the golden boot with Mo Salah, but didn't score any penalties, Alison. So in the hearts of and minds of those football fans out there, he was the better goal scorer this season. And everyone loves Sonny, right? Plays with a smile on his face. I've got to say, Dejan Kulisevsky, oh, I'm never going to forget this moment, right? He takes an extra touch on his left foot instead of just passing it with his right to Hyung Min Son to tap into an open goal and he knows that he's going for the golden boot leaving Sonny to have to take matters into his own hand and curl one in the top corner from 25 yards and he ends up sharing it and look he said it was one of the greatest achievements of his life what he dreamt of as he was a kid watching football but you know you don't want co-winner on it, do you? Let's be honest. No, but anyway, anyway. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, actually, that is... A, I'm glad you mentioned Son because if I was a Premier League manager going into a club and he was there, that would make my life happier. Mm. I want a joy to manage him. Mm. How amazing. Yeah. Sensational season. 
Well, no, yeah, I mean, and Alison alluded to, there's nothing better for a manager than a player who's very gifted, and i.e. Declan Rice at West Ham, who don't rock boats, you know. And he's one of them. He's not going to rock a boat. He's going to make it sail along lovely because, you know, he's going to be there doing it. He's never stopped giving all his effort and desire. Look, players get their head turned regularly mm. and when they're doing really well. Vultures are hanging over their football clubs, you know. And what happens if you've got a player who goes, do you know what? Yeah, I understand it's all happening, but I'm going to play my best football here and I'm going to keep doing as best I can. I think that's, you know, admirable on his part. And he's shown more loyalty than Harry Kane, hasn't he? He think has. About it. He actually signed his new deal when all the, the Ferrari over Kane leaving. So imagine that. The best player at the club, the goal scorer, Harry Kane is saying he wants to leave and you're like, well, I'll sign up. I'll stay. You know, I'll extend my contract being basically yeah, well, the second okay. best player at the What club. do you think is going to happen in the summer if Conte stays? What do you think? Think about it on, on Harry Kane. He'll sign a new deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not He'll sure. No, but I, I, genuinely, in terms of Harry Kane's new deal, um, whether he signs it or not boils down to what the release clause will be. I still think he will say, I, I want a reasonable release clause. Now, Tottenham might say, we're not going to give you a deal that says you can leave for 100 million. He You're shouldn't be asking for a release clause. Well, I, I, no, you shouldn't be. Of course he if should. If you want to commit, no, Hugh, if you want to commit yourself to two, a football what, club. Two years left still. Yeah, yeah well, you. To me, that I would never ask for a release clause in my contract. Okay, I'm not nowhere near the same level of, as him. If I'm prepared to sign a contract for a football club, sign it and don't worry about the release clause because you've signed yourself to a new four-year deal. Yeah, but this is my point. I think he will think still, look, I, I need to see what's going to happen. You know, if Antonio Conte goes to Paris Saint-Germain and Daniel Levy says, we're not giving you any money to spend or to whoever, or whoever comes in, you know, the situation is vastly different despite the fact they've got to the Champions League. I still think he wants to win trophies yeah. yes Tottenham Hotspur at the moment represents a much better um, chance of doing that than last summer's Tottenham Hotspur under Nuno Spirito Santo and that the fact that they couldn't get Conte in you know so it's Lee a very different club now but, but I still think if they don't signal when they get back out there in August and, and onwards that they're going to challenge for trophies he'll still want to go and place up somewhere so else they can just have a gentleman's agreement it's fine <laughs> <laughs> or Liga if he wins Liga he's won a trophy well this is the point I mean I still think Antonio Conte look he'd be tempted wouldn't he he'd be tempted to go to Paris Saint-Germain Kylian Mbappe Lionel Messi I, I think Daniel Levy this is the this is the moment you've got to back the manager you know you've had option, uh, chances to do that before you haven't hasn't gone well I'm not saying you need to spend 200 million quid but be shrewd get quality players in and at the moment given the market given the players that are available on freeze and what's been going on in terms of the pandemic and players not extending their deals very good players you know I mentioned Dybala earlier but I think he's a player that Tottenham could get Jesus you know these are good players they do need to add to their squad he does need to put his hand in his pocket for this summer and back Antonio Conte I think very very quickly before we end though Arsenal missing out on the Champions League in the end they did beat Everton 5-1 on the final day how impressed or disappointed are we in terms of how Arsenal season ended Alison well it's it's a it's it's a reasonable progression it's not no one's going to set off fireworks in celebration but they had no European football this season and now they've got some so if, if they're prepared to take small steps which they do seem to be as a club prepared to take small steps then it's adequate but I'm I'm not overly excited by it no Tom Roddy the, the, I mean, the, the the nature of the way it ended um, the season. I mean, they surrendered the Champions League really with with the end of the season. Overall, it does represent progress. Um, 
I was at an event the other night with, where Steve Parrish was talking about the the process and how as a as a businessman um, football is the one area of of football of of business where you can't. Uh, control the outcome as much as anywhere else. You can only really affect the process. But um, Arsenal are, 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 have kind of done that. They are. It's a. It is a significant prog- progression from eighth to fifth. And you wouldn't be overly surprised if they got Champions League football next year. Mm. And I think that's a, a big sign of progress at a time when they're they are rebuilding I'd be surprised if they got into the Champions League next year sorry Arsenal. I wouldn't then sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I, I tell you there are some positives and the positives the way uh, Arteta's speaking is if he knows what he needs and it's all going to be it's all going to be done in the summer now that's easy said than done but he's talking in that fashion he's mm. let players go and he's prepared to let Lacazette okay well you could argue how good was he for Arsenal this season well he ended up playing a lot of games for them until the end of the season their bottom line is is a bit like what we talked about Burnley you know to have centre forwards and nearly all their best goal scorers or main goal scorers are, are wingers or midfielders you know their centre forward position and Ketia five goals Aubameyang obviously playing before that Lacazette at four in the amount of goals he's paid it's cost them dearly and I said earlier one of the worst performances and I talked about Leeds getting a result and winning at Wolves as one of the worst I've seen all season Arsenal's is number one the performance of Newcastle when all the pressure was on they were dreadful in every era and do you know what Alan Anson made a quote a few years ago that we all laughed about about you can't win much with kids well you can't generally it's really factually tr- true yeah. you know you will pay a price you cannot win uh, and because there's one example of kids playing and doing brilliantly well um, I thought they paid a heavy price with the owner so much on the younger element of the team Okay. Do you, I, I don't predict Arteta to build on this season. I think playing on Thursday nights will hamper them. Um, we've seen that with other clubs with more experienced players. I, yeah. I just, you know, I think a similar again next season, fifth or sixth. And I think that will be, that will for me, that's progression because it will be fifth and sixth with playing European football as well, which is, is difficult as a coach and, and for the players as well. But I do think they had a good season. And I like to slate Arsenal, but they, I think they had a really good season. Because what Better I'm, than your club. Exactly. Do you know what? I was literally about to... <laughs> to say what I saw from Arsenal this season is what I would love to see from Manchester United next season which is yeah. some desire some work rate and from the coach clear signs of a plan that you want to play attractive football mm-hmm. which I think we got from Arsenal this year their fans should be very very happy that is where we end the game podcast today our review of the final day next Monday we will be doing our our awards our end of season awards we'll name our teams of the season and we'll give out our best player etc etc we'll do that after the Champions League final which will build up to on Thursday so make sure you join us then remember if you want more of our award-winning journalism from the Times and the Sunday Times then go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game we'll see you soon